a little exercise that we've been talking about the last two Sundays of just carrying a little pad with you and writing down your thoughts can be used very effectively for discovering conflict within us. That was such a lovely reading from the uh, workbook of A Course in Miracles, in which it pointed out that our long dream of disaster is almost over. (laughs) But it does not mean that we have to suffer. As a matter of fact, it means that we must not suffer because it is when we cease to suffer that we cease to dream. And so peace is our goal. The way home is so simple because it means nothing more than that we have decided that we will make the peace of God, that we will make gentleness and happiness more important than anything else, that we will make being kind more important than attacking, that we will make remembering innocence more important than cherishing a grudge. There is a great temptation to hold people's behavior against them. There is this feeling that we can't let people get away with this, whatever the this may be. It has to be watched over and dusted and polished and kept the fires, well, we're mixing many analogies here. <laughs> the church of mixed similes. <laughs> and so we, we blow on the embers. <laughs> we use saddle soap on the old saddle. <laughs> Except that the horse rides us. <laughs> Pick your own analogy. <laughs> That last bit was an allusion to Emerson. (laughs) Now, (laughs) the way home is so simple, and yet we make it so complicated. And one of the ways of describing how we make it complicated is that we are endlessly conflicted about everything, everything we do. But this conflict will not cease until we become aware of it. We must become aware of how deeply conflicted we are about every single thing we do, every little decision we make. I was sitting on my bed. I'd gotten up and I was sitting on the edge of my bed, remembering the peace of God. Looked down and there was a little uh, piece of something on the floor. And so the question arose in my mind, should I get up and put that in the trash can? And then the, then a rule came into my mind. The rule was that on Sunday mornings I do nothing but get ready. And so, no, you can't do that. But the trash can, my ego pointed out, was just a foot and a half to my right. It would only take maybe a second and three quarters to reach down and pick. You see, so this went on and on. I was conflicted as to whether or not I should break my meditation and pick up the little piece of something. 
That's how quickly it starts. Now, the only difference is that I'm aware of it much more acutely than I would have been even just a few weeks ago. And by being aware of it, I have an opportunity that I did not have before, which is I can turn from it. Because if you will notice very, if you will watch very carefully the conflict, you will see that both choices come to you from your ego. So we have what um, we've called in this church the higher ego, and it sort of it sort of plays angel devil, devil, uh, good bad, should but I don't want to. Uh, and so there are two choices, and perhaps one seems to be have the uh, the aura of duty. It seems to shine brightly with uh, with uh, remembered uh, promises and and rectitude, uh, and the other one possibly shines with New Age freedom or something. And of course, nothing. Neither of them have anything to do with the peace of God. So, what the ego was offering was. Should you continue meditating or should you pick up the piece of whatever it is? Of course, that was a whole other question. What is it? (laughs) Uh, And then if it happened to have been a squashed bug, then there would have been another question. Should you go get John and show this to John? Because John would be very disappointed if he found out that you'd actually picked up a squash bug and had not called him. But I didn't get that far into the uh, the nosedive. So it seemed, didn't it, that maybe continuing the meditation is truth or this is the voice of the Holy Spirit or something. But if you look carefully, you'll see no because continuing the meditation is totally irrelevant. What is the purpose of the meditation? Peace and freedom of conflict. Unless it serves that purpose, it is of no use. So to meditate is not more spiritual than to pick up a piece of whatever it is. (laughs) It simply isn't more spiritual, and yet those are the two choices. So as you go through the day, you will notice that the battle itself is spurious. You, you, you do not need to, uh, to choose either one or the other. You have only one choice, and that is the peace of God. But notice that the ego translates that choice into behavior. The peace of God means you must stop and close your eyes. The peace of God must mean you must start, you must start up your mantra again. It, it, uh, it sputtered out. Uh, or whatever it may be. Uh, You must watch your breathing, or you must start breathing deeply, or you must skip, hop, and jump. I don't know, but always notice that the ego translates into some form of behavior. But the peace of God has nothing to do with meditation. Or a course in miracles. Or with a mantra. Or with anything external. The peace of God shine so brightly and so steadily in your heart that all you have to do is remember it. And even that takes no words. It's just a pausing. It's a settling down. But it's not a pausing necessarily that's physical. It's a remembering. It's remembering that can take place even in the midst of the most frantic kind of activity. 
and implies no behavior as an aftermath. So this is a very good way to use this little exercise that we've been talking about. You simply pull out your pad and write down the conflict every time you notice it. You wish to observe the conflict or the jealousy or the anger or the thoughts that are taking out of the present or whatever else you're using your little exercise for because surely either you are completing the prelude that we mapped out to using the exercise or you're already using it. I won't even ask for a show of hands. This is so obvious that you are now using this little tool. But the tool is simply, it simply gives form to your decision to observe. If you doubt what you are, if the statement, you are the light of the world, seems absurd to you, then take some time to just be an observer, just to watch gently. Watch as a little baby watches. Jordan recently had his, one, his first birthday. And so now he's beginning to participate a little bit. But up until just oh, a month or two ago, he was almost a pure observer. And as long as anyone didn't want him to participate, he was very happy. And we could take him any place to the little park behind McDonald's. Of course, we didn't eat the food. <laughs> food there. And he just loved to sit there and watch all the children play. We could take him to a party. And he just loved to watch the people get so excited about whatever they were talking about. It's interesting, these shifts in mood. Have you ever listened to a television set in the distance where you couldn't quite hear the words, but you heard these shifts of mood? So here are two people in a room. This is Soap Opera City. And you're listening to this from a distance. Two people having a conversation in a room. One minute they're talking normally. Then there's this great excitement. Then there's anger. Then there's shame. Then there's confession. Then there's normal talking and so forth. Just two people in a room. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what we can do just in a conversation? How we can just jump all over the place just in a conversation. So to observe this is interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting to see what we do at a party. People can get exercised at a party. They can get sad at a party. They can feel slighted at a party. They can be knowledgeable at a party. They can recount visions at a party. It's very interesting. They can listen or not listen. They can turn their backs or they can stay there until the last word has been spoken, <laughs> longing for the conversation to get over so they can get over to the hors d'oeuvre table. But their ego said, your choice is between staying here and listening or eating. And staying and listening is kindness. Is it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
nor is eating kindness. Kindness is kindness. It has nothing to do with either listening or not listening. And so what you want to do as the party is whip out your pad. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to do that, actually. And it's fine to talk. It's fine to listen. You just don't want to listen too closely. You don't want to get caught up. You, want, you don't want to take it into your heart. You don't want to get conflicted. So you want to look at these things, look at yourself even, even at your own life, at your own conflicts, at your own routine, the things you eat. Look at it the way you, as, the way a little baby would look at it, with the innocence. Here's this person drinking the big glass of mixed vegetable juices in the morning. Here's the person being very careful about breakfast. Here is a person breathing deeply the clean Santa Fe air. Here is the person sneaking out during break and eating a Snickers. <laughs> it's very interesting. I mean, isn't it interesting? Why does it have to be attended with guilt and, and uh, whip lashings and all these kinds of stuff? Now, if you will simply watch yourself at your little life, your little ego, and in other people's little ego and little life, you will know what you are because you will feel the gentleness with which you are looking. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to feel. So if you simply decide to observe and to carry the little pad simply gives form to your decision. You're simply writing down particular things that you want to observe, particular areas little dark corners that you say, well, possibly a little light could shine into there. How does the light shine? By your observing it. If you are the light of the world and you observe it, the light of the world goes into the little dark corner. Whether it is your jealousy or your anger or your judgments of other people or your being rushed or how is it you're always late or whatever it may be that you wish to look at all of a sudden. And you look at it like a little innocent baby. Little innocent babies are very interested. But obviously they don't make any judgments. They don't frown at disapproval because someone's stomach is hanging over his or her belt. They don't do that and go up and give lectures on jogging. They don't do that, you see. They just look. They make no judgments. They, their looking leaves the world undisturbed. How gentle is looking. There's a stillness and a silence about it, an innocence. So look like a little baby looks. Interested, gentle. Think for a moment, how innocent are the eyes of a little baby? How peaceful are the eyes of a little baby just looking, looking at the kids play, looking at the Big Macs being opened up, and the chopped onions are only on one side, you see. Isn't this interesting? Now the Big Mac is being taken back. 
Isn't this interesting? You see, so gentle, so innocent. So innocent. These things are important. It's important that if one country doesn't go to the Olympics, the other country doesn't go to the Olympics. This is important. This is important. I'm telling you, this is important as the chopped onions. Just look at it. You don't have to get caught up in it. You just look at it. Isn't this interesting? Just interesting. Isn't it gentle? Does it really matter? Does it really matter whether they do or whether they don't? Do I have to get caught up in it? You see. And I only know that because someone told me about it. You see. Okay. Now, many of you have been working at this little exercise. I don't know why it is the people who work the hardest are the least or the most reluctant to talk. But often that's the case. So I know a number of you are working very hard. And many of you I know have been doing this little exercise of writing something down in a little pad. And so if there is anyone here who has been doing that and would like to talk a little bit about it, that would be great. Or if there's anything else you would like to talk about, uh, this is a Q&A. Yes. To speak as loudly as you can. You can stand up too if you wish. Yeah, that'd be great. I get hung up when I start observing things that I consider to be tragic, um, like child abuse and starvation, and then things that I just haven't been able to accept yet. Yes. So um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Right. The, um, okay. There is no end to the darkness that can be observed in this world. Possibly my lists of darkness in this world have been too long. But there are many talks that I've given in which I have spent a considerable amount of time listing all the cruelties and inhumanities and everything else that are done. It is a good thing to simply observe what is before you rather than to decide what needs to be observed. So or if you are a person who is dealing with starvation, then, of course, look at it. By looking at it, you will be able to be of more help. Looking does not imply that you either act or do not act. We think we must have a, an, a judgment in order to act, and this is not true. Either we must approve or condemn before we act. And this is not true. You can act because you are at peace. It is generally best, for example, I've said this before, not to lend people money because it puts your relationship on an ego basis. But this doesn't mean that you never lend money. And so, as a church, we sometimes, uh, we don't lend it, we give it. We sometimes give money. So even the rule itself is laid aside if it's more peaceful in a certain incident to give someone money, although we generally don't do that. So there are no rules. 
Some of you who in the old days used to go to the poor section of town and hand out food and so forth can remember the resentment that you incurred by doing that. This seemed to be an obvious solution. Peace would not have had you do something that would incur that much resentment. That doesn't mean that food should never be handed out, that there shouldn't be soup kitchens and so forth. It doesn't mean anything. But it does mean that as you look at this world, or you're part of it as you go through it, your peace will show you how to be of help, and it will become more and more impossible for you not to be of help. Be of help. But be of help in your life. Help those that you come in contact in your walk. So often people go off and and seek some larger cause, some more dramatic cause, and neglect the people they truly could help. So do help. But your peace will guide you in how to help. Now, I've told you that Gail and I, and of course many of you have made the same decision yourself, and this is not a good thing or a bad thing. This has just been helpful for us. We no longer look at the news. I can't do anything about anything that's on the news. I can't ever remember a single thing that was on the news that I could do anything about. And yet, it so stirred me up that I was not a good daddy for an hour, several hours, sometimes several days, if it was, if the thing on the news stirred me up enough. There was a sense of alienation and separation. Your ego is constantly asking you, aren't you separate? Aren't you separate? Notice this as you go through the day. Some little disagreement with someone. Aren't you separate? Your child does something that you don't approve of. Aren't you separate? You watch the news. Aren't you separate? (laughs) Or you pick up the magazine or whatever it may be. Don't answer the question. Return to your peace and you will see the irrefutable fact that separation is impossible that you are at one with everyone and therefore you can help anyone that comes before you. But you do not have to confine yourself to external means. And so if you do watch the news and read the papers and see the things that happen to children and see the things that happen to entire nations, and of course this cannot be understood, there is no understanding it, but you wish to help, then sit down and surround these people in light. Do you really know that it doesn't help? Do you really know that if you see some hungry child on TV and you sit down and you bring this little child into your heart and you pour your love and affection and your blessing and you whisper gently into its little ear that it's not alone, that you love it, that you're with it? Do you know that that doesn't reach that child? 
know. You don't know. And so give truth the benefit of the doubt. Another question. Our people who have been working to exercise. Our people who haven't been working to exercise just want to... <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and I've, I'm way past that lesson, but I've asked it, that question, those questions every once in a while just to see if uh, God wanted to say something. Yes. <laughs> he never has. <laughs> <laughs> but oddly enough, uh, yesterday, I guess I was in a little more receptive space or mood or whatever, and I did receive an answer. Oh, that's so wonderful. Gosh, I thought you were going <laughs> to... The dispensable church should move to Topeka. Start packing tonight. <laughs> that's what I was ready for, you know. <laughs> I was saying, help, help, how do I answer this, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. Well, that, of course, is the answer. Do you see? The... Uh, you can always be sure that if any statement in A Course in Miracles or any other statement of truth is disturbing you, you've taken it out of context. And this is what I did with that very passage that you're speaking of when I first started reading the Course. And so I used to sit down and ask those very same questions. Then I finally realized I'm taking this out of context. The entire Course tells me that God is, not will be. That now is the only time. And yet, I'm interpreting this as if I'm supposed to receive future instructions. And of course, we're not. Your peace will guide you as to what to do now. Your peaceful preference is a path upon which you walk. But it will not be seen in the future because it is peace and not behavior. And so would the voice for peace confuse you by telling you what to do behaviorally when behavior doesn't matter and peace does? When it doesn't matter what you do, but how you do it? So why do we have even a preference? Because there are things that we personally can do in which we will be more peaceful than if we do other things. And we instinctively know that if peace is our guide. There are things that we can say at certain levels. So Gail and I have found that we cannot talk about where we're going to move. We get too stirred up about that. If we were a little bit further along, we could talk about that to people. 
where are we going to move? The, an- the answer is we don't know where we're going to move. And, but we've, we've taken this as a disturbing question, the fact that this question doesn't have an answer, and yet we aren't moving. Do you see how ridiculous the question is? Where are we going to move? What does that have to do with anything? Where are we going to move? But we have enough ego investment in the question that if we start talking to someone about it, we find that we get stirred up. So our peace will tell us what to say and what not to say. And our peace has told us many, many times it's best not to talk about that. And it's taken us several months to learn the lesson. Now, it's not that it's someone else can talk about it. Or someone could say, I don't know, what's your favorite place? And receive the information. I can't even receive the information without getting stirred up. And so the best thing is for me just to say, I don't know, and so forth. Now, it is not a good thing for me, and it's not a good thing for most people, not to talk. (laughs) This has a disturbing effect on the other person. So you do talk, you see. Any other questions or comments on the little exercise? Now, a number of you have been using this exercise. I can see you sitting out there. You've been working with this little exercise. And if you have anything to say about it, consider the possibility that it may not be arrogant. It may not be humility for you to sit in your seat. Yes? Well, that's a, that's a good question. The question is, can other people make you angry? Um, so at, at, at the beginning, you will see that there are two forms of anger. There is what, what might be called residual anger, and many people have this. And often it comes from childhood, how we were treated in childhood. So many of us were damaged on a worldly level. This is not a statement of truth. This is a statement within the world. We were damaged as children. Why were we damaged? Because our parents were damaged even more. They had parents too. There is no point in blaming your parents. Now, if they had had no parents, possibly you could blame them. But it makes no sense to stop blaming at your parents, nor at your grandparents. Your grandparents had parents too. What was the question? (laughs) Huh? Oh, can people make you angry? All right. Now, so you'll see that there's this residual anger. Many people have it. They have this sort of little cloud. So you will notice yourself getting angry over nothing. You will have periods of anger in which you just get angry about almost anything. And writing your thoughts down will show you whether or not there is this residual anger. Now, the the residual anger you wish to let go of because it can take you as far back as you allow it to. There is no stopping point. As soon as you step on the little ride called anger, you start going downhill and it has no ending. Your ego is never changed, so it's all still there. You may have walked past many parts of your ego, 
but it's still there. And if you were to dive deeply enough back into it, there you would be with the same thoughts and same everything else as you had several years ago. So the residual anger you definitely want to let go of. And writing angry thoughts down is a super way of doing that. There are many other ways, of course. Now, the question of can you be made angry, of course, from the level of truth, you cannot be made angry. Of course, the miracle says, even the destruction of the body does not justify anger. So you cannot be made angry. And Jesus did the best he could to show that. I don't know what more he could have done <laughs> to show that you don't have to be made angry, no matter what they do to you. <clears throat> and this wasn't over the fact that the onion chips were over on one side of the bun, you see. <laughs> or how many bites of sweet potatoes uh, the little child should eat, which Gail and I found ourselves getting into. <laughs> bites of sweet potatoes? Um, before we realize the absurdity of it. Now, On the level of the world and taking ourselves where we are, you can be made angry given your level of learning. So anyone, as long as they still have an ego, can be provoked. And it is not realistic for you to think that you can be a person who never, under any condition, can be provoked you would not be attending this church, I promise you, if you had reached that level. You would be off someplace uh, in a cave or a room helping. Just helping, 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 helping. But, so don't, you know, it, is, it is very good not to act anger out because this enlarges the situation. So you don't want to act your anger out. So you can feel angry and not act, act, act angry, and that's a good thing because at least you're not enlarging the problem. You're not drawing other egos into the thing and having this sense that it's beyond your control. But you cannot stop there. You must recognize the anger quickly and let go of it. And so A Course in Miracles says, I'm never upset for the reason I think. And this is one of the things you will discover if you start writing down your thoughts or any of these other practices. And that is, you are not angry over the particular thing that just happened. This is the interesting thing. You are angry over something you thought just seconds or minutes before the incident. Now that's crazy, isn't it? But that's, in fact, the way it works, because the world is crazy. <laughs> and we are not ever angry over what we think we're angry. Stop and see, and you will see you accepted some little premise from the ego, some little, this is the way life is. And then something happened, and you found yourself provoked. But do not think that you've gotten to the point that you are beyond this. The first thing that will happen is you will get beyond it in your holy relationship, whatever that may be. And I've said 
many times that it is not necessarily with a spouse. It could be with a friend or a child or with a pet or anything. But there will be a place eventually where you will begin practicing seeing yourself as one. Seeing your oneness in this one place, you will begin practicing it with this child, with this person, this elderly relative that you've had to take into the house. It doesn't matter where you begin practicing it. It's not even necessary until you feel quite certain that you that you wish to do this to even do that. But the first thing that will happen is you will, it will become impossible for you to get angry in this one area. But you may still get angry at your children, for example, if it is your spouse, for a little while, and then it will be impossible for you to be angry with your children. And this circle of peace will begin spreading over the whole world. But as long as you have an ego, there will be still be some things outside of it. Except in the very, very last stages where you are ready to lay aside your, your ego. And then there is, of course, a very, very brief period there in which... Your ego, so to speak, has, does not have enough strength any longer to rise up. Or another way of saying it is, you are no longer interested in anything it has to say. <laughs> okay, any more questions? Were you wiping your... Yes. You're wiping your chin. Boy, you got to be careful in this church. I'll tell you. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I, was, I was reading a course last night. I opened up one of the books. I just started on it. And many of the things that I read, I had kind of an aha remembrance. Oh, yes, this is right. It reminded me of things that I already knew. The thing that I really have difficulty with when I read uh, that we are actually in reality sinless. Yes. I read that, and it was a moment of joy where I thought, yes. And then going back and reading it a couple minutes later, there was this twinge of, no, no, I'm really not sinless. <laughs> Terrible feeling that I'm really not sinless. Yes. And, and in looking at my anger, I think that a lot of the anger that I put out comes from that basic feeling about myself of, of sinfulness or badness or things that I've done that can never be erased. Yes, right. How do we deal with that? How do I move that away? Well... Now, I don't know how many of you could hear the question, but it was uh, that she had read a, a passage in the Course that pointed out the fact that we are sinless. And at first, she felt a great relief and saw that very clearly and peacefully. And then, as she began thinking about it and reading it over again, uh, she realized that she did not think of herself as sinless and so forth. Um, notice how often... That happens, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it. Notice how often you do see something, then you begin working on it in your mind. You begin working on it. Notice how often someone says something to you, and it does not offend you until later, when you've been thinking about it, you see. That's why it's so good to stay in the present. This is why children do not hold grievances. That's why children can get very upset with another child and then they're playing with that child seconds later as if nothing happened. They don't dwell on it. They stay in the present. So perhaps that's the first thing to notice. A genuine insight. Then the ego tries to pollute it by thinking about it. Don't think about it. There's nothing to think about. Simply enter the light of God. 
So you read something and you feel the light of God. Stay in the light of God. You do not have to think about it. Why do we think about it? Because we are reluctant to let this world go. That's why. We made it, and we are very reluctant to admit that it was a big <laughs> mistake. <laughs> now, you don't have to believe that. that. That can be the crazy part of Hugh's teachings. When he talks about that, I don't even listen to that. That's fine. If it confuses you and that worries you, that statement, then just don't listen to it. But that happens to be why we hold on to this. Oh, no, surely I couldn't have been wrong. Surely this is not right. Innocence? Innocence? When I've cherished guilt, when I've had so many delicious conversations and gossiped and all this stuff? No, no sin? So we were reluctant to give up this idea that people are blameless? Now, the Course also says that in the past you sinned, except that there's no past. <laughs> but if you wish to look at the past, and if you wish to say, did I sin in the past, the answer, of course, is yes. Especially if you remember what the word sin means. It's the old archery term that means you've missed the mark. Not that it's unforgivable. So did we make mistakes? Sure we made mistakes. Look how far you have come and not how far you have yet to go. When you look back, you look at how far you have yet to go and it is an invitation to discouragement. Look at how far you have come. Do not be afraid of light. Do not be afraid of happiness. Look in your heart every time your ego offers you a new way to be miserable. And see if you even wish to take this up. You will not be harmed by staying in the present. You will not be harmed by seeing other people as innocent. They will not take your money away from you. You are less likely to hire an employee who will cheat if you're in the present and if you see the employee is innocent. The, the ego can't understand that. It thinks in order to see the weakness of the person, it must be condemned. But actually, if you condemn it, you cannot see it clearly. And you are likely to hire someone who may carry you to the brink of bankruptcy. And you'll think you've been kind. But if you see them as innocent, you will see this one little place or they're still making themselves sad. And you'll want to help them, not by hiring them necessarily, but by blessing them, by showing them that you do not hold this against them. Nor will you jeopardize your own peace by having a business dealing with them in which they're going to be tempted to do this kind of thing. Peace is vision. It allows us to see even this world more clearly. As a matter of fact, it's the only way we can see it clearly. Gentleness does not mean that we become a doormat because it implies no behavior. Gentleness is strength. Gentleness will allow you to say no. It is anxiety and judgment that will make you so conflicted that you will say yes when it would have been better if you had said no. 
So don't be afraid of seeing people as innocent. Don't be afraid of being happy. Don't be afraid of not worrying. Don't be afraid of not trying to understand the mistake you just made. Don't be afraid of not trying to figure out why you just had the accident or why you got sick. Don't be afraid to not try to figure it out. It's unfigurable. It's insane. God is. God's now. And as you experience more peace, you can see how much of this world you wish. If you, if you see that you do not wish this world, you embrace your brothers and sisters. You do not turn against them. As long as you wish this world, you must condemn other people. You must hold their behavior against them. You must gossip and attack. Is your brother and sister merely a body? Okay. Another, uh, yes. When I feel the peace of God, I can see the ego. And when I'm in ego, I can't see the peace of God. Right. And for me, it's been a real conflict between the two worlds. And I, what I'm needing right now is to give up the ego. I'm not wishing the ego. This can happen several times in a day. Yes, many, right. It sure can. <laughs> so as we experience... The comment was that as we experience the peace of God, we see the ego more clearly. And this is disconcerting, and yet, when we are in the ego, we cannot see the peace of God. This is not fair. No, but that's a fact. That's a, that's a fact. Now, what happens is we do see our mistakes more clearly as we touch God more and more often. So as you just take up the practice of just pausing during the day and just turning to God and just saying, Thank you, Father. Or just pulling God's blessing blessing all around you. Or as one person here does, she gets out of her car and she puts her hands in Jesus' hands and she walks to work. And then any time that she needs a reminder, she just closes her hand during the day and feels the hand of Jesus. Now that's a, that's a spiritual practice. It's neither good nor bad but it's extremely helpful for this person. And in doing it, she feels the peace of God more often. And for a while, she will be more distressed with what she sees in the world. She'll be more distressed at, at, at the greater part of her own thoughts that she sees. She'll be more distressed at the greater part of her own actions and seeing the motive behind them. And there is that period in which it distresses us because we think it's still real. We think that at best, holding Jesus' hand is a game. But the sidewalk is the real thing. You see? And so, the sidewalk department did not cover this little patch and so and you just see this child fall down and lose a tooth and on and on and on and on and suddenly you don't like this and you don't like this 
Now, you must get past not liking it. We are not called upon to hate the world or to rail against it or to have long conversations with people in which we point out all the faults of the world. To see it as crazy is to see it as innocent. It's only when we think part of it's crazy and the rest of it, it's okay. It's okay with me. <laughs> so when you see it all as crazy, you will laugh gently at it. Gently, lovingly, kindly at it. You won't laugh derisively at it or make any, you won't laugh at anybody. But there is this period, and I wish I could tell you that you won't go through it, but you probably will, in which the world will become more and more distressing every time you turn back to it. Now, of course, the answer is don't turn back to it. Stay in the peace. But we haven't reached the point where we can do that all day long. And it's too, you're expecting too much of yourself if you think you can experience the peace of God and not turn back to the world because you will turn back to the world. But try to turn back a little less often. Try to stay in it a little less lengthily. So quite specifically, try to dwell on your mistakes not quite so long. Try to fear the future not quite so long. Don't be afraid to turn and talk to God. Don't be afraid to, to fall back into the arms of Christ. Ten times a day. Twenty. Thirty. The interesting thing is you will operate more efficiently in the world if you do this. Although it seems to be taking time for you to turn to your father for you to remember the innocence of your brothers and sisters, although it seems to take time, you will actually complete tasks more quickly and happily. You will not do things that are actually a waste of time or shouldn't be done at that particular time. You will not control the world in some magical way. But you will do the things that you need to do more easily and more quickly because you wish to because you want your life to serve your peace so go ahead and have the kind of life you want the only kind of life that you want and that you will not be conflicted about is a life that serves your peace your contact with God go ahead and have that kind of life don't Tell yourself what it looks like. It may not look like my life. See what it looks like and go ahead and have it. It's the only life you can have without conflict. If you want a life in which you specify how much money you must have and what car you must drive and what job you must be and how tall you're going to be and, and on and on and on and on and on, you will be conflicted because you are making judgments as to what's good and bad in the world. And so you will be conflicted. And that's why you cannot bring it about. So go ahead and have the kind of life you do wish. A life that serves the peace of God. That serves your kindness and your happiness. So go ahead and simplify your life. Sit down and write out all the things you think you have to do every week. And see how many of them you don't have to do. If there are things in the house that disturb you, see if you can't get rid of a few of them. Not, 
and have an argument with somebody else, that doesn't serve the peace of God. See what stores you go into, how they make you feel. You don't have to go into the stores you're going into. See what clothes you wear. Are you wearing something that makes you makes it harder for you to feel God's blessing upon you? Then why wear it? I don't care how much you paid for it. If you're eating some food that makes it harder for you to turn to God the next day because you ate this food, ask yourself, which is more important? Yes, it will temporarily seem like a little bit of a sacrifice. But is it a sacrifice to have more peace? And wouldn't you eat only one food if you could know nothing but your father? And so, you are not called upon to eat just one food. But if there are a few things that make you feel bad, and if you can't turn to God when you feel bad, this is not a sacrifice. And if there are certain things that you bring up in conversations that you always worry about, should I have talked about that? Look at them. Don't be afraid to sit down and write out what you usually talk about in a conversation. It won't be a sacrifice not to have to think about a conversation after it's over. Okay, people, we've come to uh, the end. So let's close our eyes. Mary Lou Cook uh, wrote up this little prayer that we did at the end of last service. Um, you can open your eyes for a second. Let me just say a couple things. We tried very hard to find out if Mary Becker Eddy had written this poem, and I'm quite certain she did, but I went through all my concordances to ev everything published, and I could not find anything under thee or thou or uh, all these other words. I just couldn't find it. So uh, Mary Lou called the Christian Science Practitioner, and the practitioner said that Mrs. Eddy didn't. I still think Mrs. Eddy did write it in a letter or something. So this is not, there's no disrespect to Mrs. Eddy if she happened to have written this poem. But this is called Mrs. Fulton's Prayer. And it's back there, and of course anything that's back there in calligraphy is, is yours for the taking. It's, you know, there's no charge for it. And so if you want to pick up this little prayer, then... Uh, Please do so now. Close your eyes. All right. Now, let's do this again. And this time, see if you can move beyond the words to the experience. If you don't, it doesn't matter. If you keep trying, you eventually will. It's that simple. And so try today to move beyond the words to the experience. So we'll do it the same way we did yesterday, <clears throat> because if you could memorize this, perhaps you would like to use it. So I will say it and then say it after me. I am one with thee. O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. 
I am because thou art. Now let's say it together. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. Now say it silently, or any part of it that you can remember, and very gently see if you can move past the words to the experience. This is the truth. It's the only thing you need to know. It's the only thing you need to see. There is so much God out there. Why waste time wanting anything else? I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art.